I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place. Now, every now and then I introduce you to someone who is an absolute game changer. Today is one of those episodes. When I think about, you know, with my oldest daughter, she had this... uh, pain in her stomach and every night the mother of bee had to carry her back and forth at the floor in our flat and uh, it was terrible it yeah. was like torture but today many years later i think about those nights as some of the happiest in my life it's erling kagger and he's well quite a lot of things actually including a polar explorer an entrepreneur a lawyer and an art dealer not bad eh but what we're talking about is Silence. Tricky for a podcast, but we're going to embrace it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, here is the show. Thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. We've sort of been email pen pals for a little while now. Yeah. Which has been lovely. Absolutely. Um, Due to your phenomenal book, Silence, which I, well, I've loved all of your books. These gorgeous books that allow us to really take the wisdom that you've learned on on your adventures and your explorations. And I thank you for that because I've loved reading them so much. And then... I thought I've got to get you to contribute to one of my books. So I cheekily got your email address and you said yes. Of course. Of course. I was I was older. I was very happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was so chuffed that you did. And then and then we were just chatting about all sorts of stuff to do with the books, your books, my books. And then I think I emailed you to ask you to come on Radio 2. Yeah. And you said yes, which was yeah. brilliant. Mm-hmm. And your chat on Radio 2 went down so well because that wasn't the regular kind of chat they would have in the morning. So it was a lovely moment. And then I guess we've just emailed back and forth. Like you've sent me some beautiful pictures of your your like log cabin in, yeah. in Norway. You should come. I really you want bring, to. Bring your man. But I'm You'll scared never it. <laughs> of the no electricity thing. You I know, am scared about that. I might not have told you, but you know, it's not only the thing that there's absolute no cabins, no people around. And it's no electricity, but it's no running water. It's a lake 20, 15 or 20 inches away from the cabin. So it's water available. And it's not even a toilet. So you have the world's biggest toilet around you. Wow. So you're just out there (laughs) digging a little hole and... Uh, Hardly a hole. Just go for it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I've been slow to take up the offer, but I do feel it would be a wonderful experience. Your husband will be very impressed by it. Okay. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to have to say yes. You might find some silent moments up there. Well, there there you go. That's the whole point. You're the first person to have completed the three poles challenge. So North Pole, South Pole and Everest. 
what initially drove you to to partake in a challenge like that what what was the reason behind it what was that that feeling that impetus that, that drove you to do it <laughs> um, um i think first of all we are born explorers if you look at um, Homo sapiens, it was the possibility to walk on two legs that made us into human beings. And that spirit uh, of exploration in a physical sense is, you know, eventually 300,000 years later got us, you know, to walk on the moon mm. and also make your kids to walk on, you know, into the streets. So I think, you know, this is something we're all born with. Obviously, that spirit is corrupted due to kindergarten and school and family and friends, but it never goes away. So I think, you know, it's just my spirit Spirit is slightly stronger than, you know, for others. But, you know, I think, we're, you know, we're all, we're all explorers in one way. So you would have gone through the, the usual kind of schooling system like any of us and, and perhaps had teenage years where that feeling was slightly diluted and it wasn't as strong? Or did you did you always have this sense that you needed adventure and that you wanted to go out and see the world in a different way? I always had that sense, wow. uh, for sure. I was dreaming about sailing around the world from a very young age. And uh, later I didn't sail around the whole world, but at least half the world. And, uh, That's quite a lot of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's very much about making life more difficult than necessary. Because in one way, obviously, you hardly need to do anything, at least not if you're born in Norway like I am, because we're very much a spoiled society. Um, so, you know, from we get up in the morning or from we wake up in the morning, it's all about, about making difficult options mm. and to make life meaningful. And for me, you know, I took it to some extremes. You don't say. Mm. <laughs> because most people, you know, I'm certainly guilty of this. Sometimes you do want the easier route in life. You do want the easier options, something that feels more comfortable. Again, as as that need to challenge yourself and go for a more difficult route always been omnipresent in your life? No. Um, one of the chapters in um, philosophy for polar explorers, I'm, I'm writing about that, you know, usually, you know, you have to make the choices throughout every day. Uh, easiest options and more difficult options and usually I opt for the easiest option that's you know that's how we were born uh, but um, I, when I look back on my life as I write about I think it has usually been a mistake to go for the easiest options I think in general as human beings we're better better off uh, making our lives and our choices more difficult than they have to be so what what are we missing out on by choosing the easy option? You know, if you think about uh, one of the meanings of life, obviously life has uh, several meanings, but one of the meanings of life is to fulfill the potentials you were born with or the potentials you have. Then, you know, you actually have to get up in the morning. You have to have some action. You have to, you know, to, to challenge yourself and, 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 and challenge uh, the environment. Um, so I think, you know, if you don't do it, you know, you tend to regret it. Like yeah. um, today I'm 57 years old and, you know, no, not, not oh, my right, birthday. Oh, sorry, today. sorry. I say, I haven't got cake <laughs> or anything. I, I, I wish I could bluff you on that one. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but when I look at my friends, they, you know, they tend to complain that life is short. Yeah. And the older you get, you know, the shorter the life that you have lived feels. But, of course, that's... Uh, 
that's a huge misunderstanding. Um, and people are mixing up uh, the law of physics with the, you know, the, um, how they perceive their own life. Mm. Because life is long if you, if, you don't, if you don't waste it. And also, when I was reading your book, I got a sense of that. But I got a sense also that it's not about how much you do and how much you cram in and how much you try and do each day. But it's, it's much more about how present you are, even in the moments which, uh, you know, seemingly nothing's really going on. Is that how you would say to sort of lengthen time or experience that, you know, or to lessen panic that time's running out? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's about um, very much about um, enjoying the silence, I think. Um, and I enjoy the silence, um, not, you know, not throughout, you know, the, every day, but, you know, every now and then. And sometimes, of course, when I'm in out in nature, it's 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 uh, easier. But I think you know one of the reasons feel um, life feel uh, feels very short is because uh, we have this high speed every day. Uh, and of course, when you have a high speed, somehow time narrows in. Yeah. And also, it's about living in noise. And then I. Th- Write about noise. I'm not writing about the opposite of uh, of of, of um, uh, or of sounds. I think about noise as obviously it could be sounds, but it could also be uh, distractions, frustrations, uh, a radio running, cars passing, man-made light during the night, uh, and of course, young people today they will spend about four hours every day on social media. Mm. And if if you live until 84, as you probably do in England, uh, that means you're on social media 13 years of your life, day That's and night. Depressing. And of course, you know, that. then life feels short because mm. you tend to do the same every day. And and when you get older, you start to feel that you have wasted this one huge opportunity to opportunity to have a rich life. Yeah. And, and let's talk about silence because you've experienced silence like most of us will never. Silence is so rare in this day and age. Like you say, on the front of your book, we're in the age of noise, which is perfectly put. Everything is noisy. You can hear builders downstairs right now in my house. There is noise everywhere. There are cars going past. There are planes. It's, it's constant and it's hard to escape it. I got a teeny, teeny slither of proper silence last year I emailed you about this I I went to Finland with my family and we were really far up north north of a tiny place called Kittila and it was beautiful and there were there were no cars there were no planes overhead there was no flight path there was no wind so everything was like very eerily still and it was kind of overwhelming that silence because I realized I, I really haven't felt it experienced it before obviously on your expeditions and I guess more specifically correct me if I'm wrong your trek to the South Pole where you were completely on your own unsupported can you even describe that level of silence but I think you know the beauty of what you just said is that the silence you experienced um, you know it's a good example on like which I think is important to keep in mind that uh, silence is not about turning you back to the world. It's not about living a more egocentric life. It's more about the opposite. It's about seeing the world. It's about loving the people and loving nature even more. 
So I think that's that's important to keep in mind. But you know, when you walk to the Antarctic, uh, to the South Pole through the Antarctic, as I did for fifty days and nights under the midnight sun, um, one thing which is interesting is that it's almost absolutely silent. I don't think you find a total silent place anywhere. Um, but the silence was kind of growing on me, and um, also the nature. So in the sense that after a few weeks, you start to feel that your body doesn't stop by your fingertips, but kind of extended into the nature. You're becoming a part of the environment. And you also start to have a dialogue with the environment, with the nature. You're sending some ideas out and you get all the thoughts back again. So you're very much present in your own life. You don't think about the future nor the past. Uh, and somehow, you know, you feel that your mind can be greater than the universe. And that's a beautiful feeling. But you can have kind of a similar feeling, I think, also if you do some hiking in England in nature. Maybe not that strong, but I think, you know, it's I think people kind of underestimating their own possibilities in life to experience this kind of deep silence. Was this an epiphany you had during that specific trek or was it something you were almost anticipating? You you knew that perhaps you, you wanted to seek out that silence and that it might have something for you? Mm, um, um, it's lovely. You know, It's when I was a kid, I felt that silence was about being let out. It was about not having anyone to play with. It was about sadness, boredom, that kind of stuff. Uh, which I think is normal. But in late teenagers, early 20s, I started to understand that silence is super important. And so I kind of, I was fully aware of it before I started to walk to the South Pole, but that expedition learned an important lesson. And also that those expeditions, different expeditions combined with being an entrepreneur in Norway, book publisher, writing books, and eventually getting three daughters kind of made it possible for, for me to write these books mm. um, all that experience walking to the South Pole was not enough but I think you know the combination turned me into an author Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So what have you noticed or what did you notice in that moment were the benefits of silence? Because I think there'll still be people listening saying, right, I get it. We need more peace and quiet. But what is it? What is it that... That it, what is it about the silence that changes your life for the better or your mind or you know there's that lovely thing you just said about feeling at one with nature and we all need that more my god but but what else is it how is it how could it benefit all of us I think you know noise is very much about other people it's very much about man-made you know technology and man-made stuff it's very much about running away from yourself it's very much about living through other people while silence is about discovering yourself. And that's, of course, why we prefer noise, because um, it's easier. Uh, while you know, listening to yourself could be 
complicated. It could be uncomfortable. It could be frustrating. So that's why we try to avoid it. But, you know, in silence, we meet ourselves. And in silence is somehow, you know, facing the biggest secrets of life. And, of course, if you're religious, you believe you find um, God in silence. But, you know, at least you definitely, you know, will explore yourself. Isn't it funny? Because I I was going to ask you, why are we so scared of silence? But you've just sort of answered it. We're scared to meet ourselves. We don't want to sit there and have possibly undesirable thoughts come up, you know, bad thoughts about ourselves, about the past. Um, I'm wondering if you experienced that level of negativity and how you dealt with it in solitude, because you were on your own for so long, certainly on the solo venture. How did you, how did you mitigate that level of negative noise? Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm writing about this anecdote about Marvina Abramovich, the artist, who, um, uh, her biggest desire was to experience silence. So she went into a desert and sat down by herself, hardly any noise around her. And then she wanted to listen to the silence, listen to herself. But then she had all this noise in her head because, of course, you keep on thinking. And when you think, you think about the past or the future. And that's another way, you know, of noise. So, and that's frustrating. That's something I have experienced a lot too. And I think it's very common. As soon as, you know, you turn off your phone or don't look at your phone, you have all this noise in your head because you're thinking about what's going on. But somehow you need to empty your head. You need to think a little bit less sometimes. And that's difficult. And it should be difficult. But, you know, maybe it takes you 30 seconds, maybe it takes you a few hours. But then you have this beautiful feeling of, being present in your own life and so did you experience that when you were on your solo trek how long did it take you to get to the point where you went ah that 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 noise is gone uh took me a few days uh to the south pole but also when i've been sailing across the oceans it takes a few days Mm. but in daily life i i i usually walk to my office takes me 35 minutes and Sometimes I feel so important that I had to talk on the phone, but usually I turn off the phone. I'm not holding anything in my hands and I walk in peace to the office and, you know, then I find silence. Not mm-hmm. as deep as to the South Pole, but still I find silence. I think, you know, the most important silence in life is not around you, outside you, but, you know, it's inside your own mind, inside your own body, and it's there waiting for you to, to, to explore it. And uh, so I find silence, you know, these daily walks. I find silence when I take a shower, sometimes when I do the dishes. And, you know, I find inner silence um, yeah, throughout the whole day, sometimes for a few seconds, other times, you know, for longer. Because you, you talk prolifically about inner silence in the book. And for some people, I think that will seem like a very alien concept, you know, having any space in the day, let alone your head where... There is peace because I think most of our battles are, you know, fought within our own minds and and conflicting thoughts and feelings. And and for, for, for many people, myself included, it can at times feel like you can't even locate that in a silence. Would you say the best ways are just to simply get out in nature to to allow yourself that time and space? I think nature is uh, a fantastic place to do it. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons, major reasons in society today is that we have disconnected from nature. Um, that's why, you know, 
I wrote those three books because I felt I had re- something really important to say about, you know, that we need to relate to Mother Earth because it's 4.5 billion years old and somehow we know the kind of the first generation who starts to believe that we can forget about Mother Earth, that we are stronger and better and uh, and better off without thinking about nature. But uh, but so, so that that's a mistake. But it's uh, but still, I think you know we can find uh, silence anywhere. I think you know even here in London, you can find it at uh, sitting in the middle of Piccadilly Circus, and you will find silence. So it's m- more a matter about attitude mm. and that you actually are willing. And also that you dare to listen to yourself. Mm, that's the thing, I think, daring to do mm-hmm. it. Because we could palm it off and say, oh, you know, silence is boring or what's the point? But like you say, if there's that fear of, of meeting ourselves in that silence, there's obviously some work to be done. There's obviously like some things to unpick and some issues that, that need to be dealt with. Because otherwise we just distract ourselves further and, and they... I guess, get bigger because you're suppressing them more. Um, why do we find it awkward to sit in silence with other humans? Because that's, like, especially for British people, you know, you would never sit and, you know, unless you knew someone really well. Like I could sit with my husband and not talk and I wouldn't take offence and he wouldn't. But to even that's, sit That's with, very good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think to even sit with someone that you know quite well, it's a, a weird awkwardness about it. Why is that? Uh, I think that's very human. Yeah. Uh, people can't stand silence. And that's not something new. Um, philosophers have been writing about it. This Blaise Pascal wrote about, about it in the 1640s, that the origin of all the problems we have is our inability to sit alone in a room doing nothing. Mm. And instead of doing nothing, we do something. And that's where all the problems begin. And of course, that was a problem in 1640s for us. But it's uh, today, uh, the challenge is so much bigger. Oh, yeah. And, but for me, of course, you know, it could be uncomfortable sometimes to sit with someone not saying anything. Um, but, you know, if you look at the Japanese, they have so much silence in their language, so much silence in daily lives. And that's also a way to communicate. And uh, and especially, I think, you know, you, you mentioned your husband. I think, you know, for me, uh, with girlfriends, has always been a problem when we have to explain everything with words. Mm. I think that's really hard to survive in a relationship uh, if you have to put words. Also because quite a few things in life, you know, you can't describe by words. It's too complicated. And we don't have, you know, sufficient of words in the world. And then, you know, you have to express it by, you know, the way you behave, the way you sit, the way you think, the way you look at the other person, the way you kind of hug the other person. Um, yeah, and it's all about, you know, that part is about silence. Mm. Mm. So how, how do you balance, I guess, your, your, your drive to do and to complete huge challenges with also your very well-versed knowledge in knowing you need to just be and stop? How do you dance around with with those two thoughts Ooh, i wish i had a you know uh one short answer on that one but i think you know you never find a perfect balance in life for long and maybe you have a perfect balance for some seconds or minutes or maybe even for a few days if you're fortunate but you know everything's changing all the time so um so, uh, so um that balance is you know only for you know short periods 
And so do you know when you've done too much and you need to just relax and draw back or or is that drive so insatiable that you just do need a new challenge? Because, you know, as you said, you've not only done these crazy physical challenges, but also even, even in your life with, you know, how you run your business and being a publisher, they're all huge challenges. Do you have to find peace within it or do you really need to retreat sometimes and just step away from it all? Um, I definitely need to retreat, uh, mostly by, you know, doing some hiking, skiing uh, in the forest or in the mountains. Um, but again, you know, life is not perfect. Sometimes I'm just, you know, very, very tired mm. and frustrated and, you know, being awake at night because things I haven't done or things, you know, ideas I don't come to terms with. So, and also with three daughters, of course, it's, you know, it's, um, life is very much about noise. Mm. It is. I know that one. <laughs> um, I loved your more recent book, Philosophy for Polar Explorers, because you've very succinctly put your 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 real big findings and your big learnings from those expeditions into everyday life how we can apply the things that you learned in those tougher times just to you know anyone that's never even been on a hike before and I, and I love that concept um I'd love to talk about a few of them so one of them is getting up early yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to uh, find pleasure in sleeping long hours in the morning. Um, but I learned a hard way on expeditions and also with small kids that you have to get up in the morning. Mm. And I think, you know, it's a bigger challenge being a polar explorer is to get up in the morning when it's 50 degrees below. And you always feel for freezing a little bit for five minutes or five hours to stay in the sleeping bag instead of going out of the sleeping bag and freeze like hell. Um, but you know, somehow the days become so much better when you get up in the morning. So I think that's a, I think that's a good start, but it's not a religion. So, I mean, sometimes I sleep for long hours, uh, and I think it's important to sleep for many hours, but you know, you have to get up in the morning. So what time would be your sort of optimum time to get up, start the day on your perfect day? Ah, uh, six, maybe six thirty. So not super early. It's just about, about, you know, having some discipline in your life and you know if you have some discipline it's also you know it's nice to break your own rules too sometimes but you know it's a good start to have some discipline because obviously you know you have to have that discipline when you're on a trek especially I'm imagining on on a, a solo venture because you've got no one to get to make you motivated or or no. to to pull you out of that sleeping sack you've got to go right this is my structure for what could be quite you know a rogue day of doing whatever I want and I, and I like the application of that into everyday life because sometimes we see freedom as being you know no rules we can do whatever we want we don't have to stick to a system or have a routine but actually your philosophy is there's a lot of joy in having that routine and then as you say sort of breaking those rules yeah absolutely and I think it's a huge misunderstanding today to think about Freedom as living a life without responsibilities. Yes. Because it's the opposite. Of course, you need many responsibilities to be able to live a free life. Mm. And that's something you learn, you know, as a family man or a mother, of course, and also on expeditions. And it took me a long time to understand it because when I was younger, I thought, you know, you know, less responsibilities, more freedom. And um, I was wrong. Mm. And then what about train yourself in optimism first of all how did you use that concept when you were trekking 
uh, I, you know, somehow to me it seems like optimists have a better life than pessimists, mm. and also optimists historical wise to me seems to have been more right than pessimists. And in daily life, I think sometimes it uh, could be a struggle to be optimistic, but you know, I think it's important to be a little bit optimistic, not in a stupid way. But uh, I have traveled to more than 100 countries and met thousands of people. And my, my impression is that most people underestimate themselves yeah. and the possibilities of life. And in the book you mentioned, I have this little anecdote about this elephants in, in, in Bangalore. And a guy asked this owner of the elephants, how come all these huge elephants you know, don't, run away because they're only tied to this little tiny stake uh, with a tiny with a thin rope to uh, to the ground and the guy says you know when the elephants are small when they're babies we tie them with this tiny uh, with this thin rope to this little stake in the ground and they're not able to escape and an elephant will never try again mm. and i think that's you know that's how we're we humans are yeah. quite often too. So, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, when you're thinking about it, I think, you know, it slowly turns kind of obvious that we have to try to be optimistic. Mm. Mm. But it's tricky, isn't it? Because with that elephant anecdote, you know, we've all been that elephant. We've all been told you, you cannot move from here or you won't progress or you're not good enough or whatever. Where, how do we get that strength to negate those statements and say, you know what, I know you've told me that you don't think that's possible, but I'm going to do it anyway. How, how do you think we draw from that inner strength? I think, it, I think it's, you know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges in life. Yeah. You know, you'll see every boy has a pro- problematic relationship to his father and every father has a prob- pro- problematic relationship to his son. And that, you know, that could, you can come over it, but for sure in the beginning of your life. And one of the reasons is that, you know, um, fathers tell their sons, you're not able to do it. You're not good enough. Uh, don't do that. Uh, it's not going to work out. And you tend to believe it. Just like if you tell a kid that you are an awful drawer, you know, you will believe the first of your life that you can't, you know, make a drawing. So, you know, I don't have a proper formula for, for getting out of it. But I think, you know, to have knowledge about it, to know it, that's how life is for most people, and uh, not only for you, but for almost everybody else, uh, I think it's a good start. Yeah. Because if, you, if you're not aware of it, or if you refuse to think about it and accept it, then I think it's super hard to get out of it. Mm. Uh, and I was struggling with it for, for, for many years throughout my teenagers that um, I find it very problematic to satisfy my father, to impress my father. I, I really want to impress my father. I didn't manage, at least he didn't express it. And while your mother is kind of love you anyway, and she's there. And so then it's easy to kind of not think too much about your mother, uh, but you know, focus on your father. So do you think some of your your drive to, to to do these big challenges has been subliminally to kind of to show your dad that you can do it and that you're worthy and that you can do impressive things? I think you do it, you know, whatever you do, you do for many reasons. Um, so I walked to, to, to the poles and sailed the oceans and climbed uh, mountains for, for many, many reasons, you know, only to be, you know, close to nature. But I think one of the reasons, yes, at least early on, was to somehow 
compensate, you know, for having, you know, a bit rough childhood and um, and to impress or satisfy my dad, yes. I think so many people will relate to that and, you know, whether it could even be a teacher or a friend, but someone in the back of your mind that you that is there that you kind of want to 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 see your success and and what you've achieved i can definitely relate to that um when we get into these negative cycles of thought which we all do that we're perhaps not good enough or we're not capable what's your way of snapping out of that because of course if you are on a solo expedition or you've got a huge physical challenge ahead there's really no time to allow those voices to take hold because it's a matter of survival so have you got any techniques or ways that you can snap yourself out of a negative thinking cycle to to be optimistic Oh, again, <laughs> I wish I had, you know, uh, something easy to say, but I think it's these negative circles are, are something we all have, we're all struggling with, um, also an expedition to the South Pole. And of course, then it's in one way harder because you're, you know, you're by yourself. But on the other hand, I think it's important to keep in mind that all negativity needs refill. So any emotion needs to have, you know, some more gasoline, you know, to fill up, to keep up the emotion. So I think quite often you just have to ride it out. I mean, it lasts maybe for a few minutes, maybe it lasts for some hours or days. But if it eventually it will stop. So did you have moments on that specific trek where you were close to just giving up and saying, you know what, this is too much. I don't want to do this anymore. No, I have to disappoint you. I've never, it sounds a bit strange, maybe I've never considered giving up. Yeah. Because somehow to give up is even worse than keep on going. Mm. And I think, you know, sometimes in life you have to give up. You have to take a loss because it doesn't make sense anymore. I mean, if you're in love with a girl and, you know, she's not love, in love with you for a long, long time, you know, you eventually have to give up uh, or whatever. But it's, uh, it's um, I think on expeditions, but also, you know, all the, you know, other parts of my life, I have been good at not giving up. And I think also quite often people give up too easily. Obviously, someone, some people keep you know on for too long, which turns into a sad story. But I think, you know, to just kind of not give up. And like you say, that optimism has parameters. You know, it, it can't tip into stupidity or doing things that are foolish. So how do you tread that line of knowing that your dreams are realistic? Um, you know, sometimes they're not. Uh, and I think especially when I was a kid, I had, you know, these ideas about becoming a greater boxer than Muhammad Ali, world champion in football, um, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and become a fireman and uh, sailing the world, et cetera. And, you know, that's because you're born with this kind of 360 degrees horizon. Um, so I think in one way, it's good that you learn the hard way that you not able to succeed with all your dreams um, and of course if you do expeditions like I've been doing or starting a business or writing books you don't know if you're going to be successful but I think you know life is also about taking risks and again you know I think you know it's to make life you know interesting and make it rich you need to take a few risks and of course you know to start a family is a huge risk to get married is a huge rich, uh, risk and I have to say 
to me, it was much more demanding to raise three kids than walking to the South Pole because, you know, walking to the South Pole was two years of preparations and um, 50 days cross-country skiing while having uh, a family is, you know... Parenting's <laughs> so bloody hard, isn't it? I mean, it's just... <laughs> We all talk about how brilliant it is, and we know it is. It's the most joyful thing ever, but holy hell, it is so hard sometimes. But that's a beautiful life. You tend to forget all the, you know, the rough things. Mm. And I also think, as I write about in the last book, this kind of this whole idea about being happy all the time, I think is another big misunderstanding. Because when I think about, you know, when, with my oldest daughter, she had this... Uh, pain in her stomach from she was two to eight months or something and every night the mother of me had to carry her back and forth back and forth the floor in our flat or going old side and she was screaming and it was terrible it yeah. was like torture we were desperate but today many years later i think about those nice nights as some of the happiest in my life mm. because i was close to my daughter i was close to the mo- mother i did something really meaningful uh, in my life so today you know it's happiness to me i'm glad you're saying that because i'm having serious sleep deprivation at the moment and it's hell on earth and i i can imagine that i might look back at it in a romantic way and go oh it was dark and misty outside and I was there with my child whereas at the moment I'm like please sleep leading on from what you've just said there's a great lesson learned that we all need to take stock of and that's don't chase happiness let it chase you and isn't that notion of us all desperately chasing happiness perhaps one of the biggest scams of the modern world which is founded I guess in sort of consumerism and capitalism that we're chasing you know, more or better jobs, we can have more stuff and more things and that meaning something. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I think it's almost insane. Yeah. And the whole idea that you're going to measure people's happiness throughout the day is, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. And I think, you know, quite often, I'm not aware whether I'm happy or not. I saw this movie a few months ago and a person said to another person that my big problem is that I'm Happy when I'm sad and sad when I'm happy. Mm. <laughs> I think that's a very good comment. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, life is so much more, you know, complex and uh, and uh, complicated that, you know, we can talk about, you know, happy, happy, you know, this kind of pursuit of happiness as a goal in life. It's the opposite. You know, you need to do something meaningful. You need to, as I said, get up in the morning. You need to, you know, try to, you know, live a rich life, do meaningful things. And then, you know, happiness will pursue you. Yeah, I so agree because it, it, there's so much less attention on having a purpose. Like, you know, what is your purpose? That could be anything. It doesn't have to be something grand or, you know, a, a huge challenge. But, you know, what is is it saying hi to your neighbour every day or, or being kind to those around you or whatever? But what is that drive and purpose? Because I've certainly found that the, the endeavours I've had within my working life or outside of it that have been not attached to me looking for happiness. So it could be, you know, helping someone else or being part of a group of people. Like you say, it just, happiness turns up. You're not expecting it to and you haven't been chasing it, but it's there. And then I guess there's also the willingness to let it go again because it's not just necessarily going to stick around. And that's tough. Exactly. And life is tough. Yeah. Life is super tough. So the whole idea that life could not be tough, that you can have this kind of happiness every day throughout every day um it's not possible 
So then to sell the idea is, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a kind of a scam to people yeah. because life is hard. Mm. I had someone the other day say to me, so I take it you're like the happiest now that you've ever been. And I was like, I don't know how to even answer that because like right now, you know, you know, sat here on the sofa, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. I'm fine. But what's to say, you know, in an hour I might feel bloody awful or tomorrow I might feel even worse than I did when I felt really terrible five years ago or or I might feel amazing like it's just undulating isn't it and ever changing maybe on you know next week you go to a funeral to a person you were really fond of and you feel happy and then you go to a a wedding and you feel unhappy you know life life is life is complicated and that's you know that's some of the beauty that's such Um, a good point because I you know we do associate those two extremes like weddings and funerals with emotions and you know, obviously it's a given that it's sad to lose somebody. But I remember being at my great uncle's funeral, who I was really close to, and he was a great guy, a very amazing character. And um, and it was really bucketing down with snow outside. And he had chosen a Bob Marley, Three Little Birds, as his song. And we were all sort of smiling. And it was exactly. this moment of, like, absolute happiness yeah. that I definitely wasn't expecting to feel when I walked in there. But, you know, that's a really interesting point. It it's just going to turn up when it does. And we can't, we have no control over it, I guess. Very little control, I think. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's, you know, is is there a line to tread? Because I guess we have the agency to make good decisions, to be optimistic or to, you know, do the things we know might help us out. But again, it's not expecting happiness to be at the end of it. No. And I think, you know, it's, I think it, if you have lived a happy life, I think you have to look at the whole life. Mm. And then you may consider if it was a happy life or not. But yeah. this kind of short-term happiness doesn't get you anywhere, I think. And again, like when you talk about inner silence, is it the same with inner happiness? Like we can achieve that on our own without it being attached to stuff, people, what's going on around us. It's just something we can sense within. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think, you know, I think if you live in, not everybody, but I think in most people in England and Norway, you know, you need to be aware that the most of the best things in life are for free. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you see, you know, if, you, if your girlfriend gets herself a new pair of shoes, of course, she's super happy. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be happy for like 10 exactly, minutes and exactly. then they get a bit boring. Exactly. Or if you buy a new car, you're, you know, we're happy with a car until yeah. your neighbor buys a nicer car. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, so, but I think, you know, some of the most important things in life, the most the greatest things in life, they are for free. And yeah, uh, yeah. keep it in mind. Yeah. Mm. And then I guess I'll finish on this note. It's kind of it's it's quite a big question but you know we live as you say in this modern world in the age of noise is there any going back on that can we reverse that can we live on a more peaceful planet or do we just have to learn to live with how it is i'm very optimistic on this i think we will um you know we will learn to live with it and we will learn to avoid some of the noise it's going to be a hard lesson, but I think, you know, the future in general is great. I'm optimistic. It's going to be some hardship, but I'm super optimistic. I think that's a pretty lovely way to end this episode with some full throttle optimism. Um, Erling, thank you so much. What a, an honour it is to have you on the sit. <laughs> it is. Don't laugh. It's a big honour. You're a legend. It's an absolute honour. And I just think there's so many pearls of wisdom that people can walk away with. And so thank you. And thank you for, for writing your, your beautiful books as well. Thank you. Oh, 
I just love him. I heartily recommend his book, Silence in the Age of Noise, and all of his other books. Just go Google him. Wherever you get your books, go get them. And don't forget to subscribe to get your new episodes of Happy Place weekly, every Monday. You can do that for free wherever you get your podcast. It might be the same place that you actually get your books. That's the world we live in now. And also to find out who's on next week's show, find us on Instagram at Happy Place Official. Also, if you like listening to good stuff when you're driving in the car, out for a run, going for a walk in the blustery wind... Why not check out my new BBC sound show? It's called Sounds of the 90s, and I basically play two hours of non-stop, incredible 90s music. I have 90s guests in the studio and talk about 90s TV, film and pop culture. It's a riot. Go check it out. A massive thanks again to Erling, to the producer Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you for listening. Massively appreciate it. Have a blooming good week, and I'll see you soon.